Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Hey, you guys, welcome to episode 71 of the Foolishness Podcast. This is Brian Sumner, the host. Hope everyone is doing well. I'm excited to jump into this. I know it's been a few weeks. There's been so much going on in our life with all that's going on in the world with my wife's mother having ALS. Please continue praying for her. Also, for us in this season, as we're just continuing on in faith, uh, raising support, continuing to preach places. I can't really travel, but we're putting out a lot of episodes and um, a lot of local churches, uh, rehabs, schools, believe it or not, a lot of counseling. Thank you for that. But today we're going to be jumping into James 1, where I just preached at a local church this past weekend, a good, good pastor friend of mine at the W Church in Newport Beach. And we unpack James 1 as James is writing to encourage believers telling them to be not only hearers, but doers. I unpack a few things at the start, but this message is meant to encourage you, to challenge you. James steps on our toes as he calls us to look in the mirror and not walk away without an understanding of where we are, ultimately trusting in and submitting and walking in the things God has called us to. God bless. See you in a bit. Awesome, you guys. How's everyone doing? Good? I think I've had like four showers today. I mean, it's getting so, so hot, but I want to just tell you, I'm really encouraged. I love this church. It's been amazing getting to know Pastor Brian and many of you folks out there. Um, I skated professionally for many years, and so to step into this role as an evangelist, I guess, because people like Pastor Brian said, this is what you're called to do. Go do this. The fact that your church invests in me and my family and believes this is a call, that's a witness in itself of the work that God is doing. Amen? Another thing that's amazing is I actually haven't got to be in front of a church where there's actually people. Our church gathers in a senior center, so out of respect for all the seniors and what's going on, they've been working with the city to get things going, so I'm just excited to see you. Amen? But I say that because of this as well, is that just the other day as I was driving, I was just thinking how strange it is. I'm normally flying 50 to 200 places a year. I'm meeting people. I'm speaking places. I'm interacting. I'm, it's just hard not hugging and loving on everyone today. And as I was driving, I was thinking, Lord, how crazy must it be for so many people who haven't been back to the workplace? I know people who are flying across the world to get married, and they couldn't do that. People who went to school to begin a career, they couldn't start. And I'm saying all of that to say, in the midst of all of this craziness, while everyone's scrambling to figure out what we should be focused on, as I step into the pulpit today, let me ask you, what should we be focused on? I mean, whose pulpit is this? It's God's. Whose church is the W? It's God's. Who are you? You are God's children, amen? And while there's many things I could want to bring in here, and I love a good conspiracy, or I love to try and take control of things, or there's so many things people want pastors to be pushing in the pulpit right now, amen? What has God called us to do? He's called us to worship. We okay on sound, you guys? You guys see me okay back there? Where should I go? You want me somewhere else or what? All right. Well, anyway, thumbs up in the back. Someone can see me. But the point is, what has God called me to do? Well, God has called me to what? Preach today. 
Bible clearly, clearly says that God gave some to be apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. So as I'm sharing today as kind of a pastor and teacher evangelist, what should the focus be on? It should be on feeding the sheep, on speaking to you, on encouraging you. And the reason I'm saying this is because Paul told Timothy something simple. He told him to proclaim the truth and give attention to what? To exhortation, to reading, and to doctrine. There's so many things going on in so many pulpits around the world today, and I believe the church is getting shaken, that I'm so thankful to come here and pastor can simply say, Brian, we are in the book of James. Can you open it up and read it? Amen? Guys, if you have your Bibles, go over to James. And I say this because Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but the word of God. The Bible says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. And as we unpack this, I want to recap some of what Pastor Brian's been sharing. But James is writing to believers who are struggling. He's writing to believers who are going through persecution and this craziness around them. And many Christians today feel persecuted. People in the world without Jesus, they have no hope. But it's important we remember going into this that James has said things like this in verse 2 of 1. He said for the believer, count it all joy. Just say that. Count it all joy. Amen. Are you really counting this season as all joy? He says, count it all joy whenever you meet trials of various kinds because you know that this testing of your faith, Brian, or the W Church will produce steadfastness. Let this steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. He says you and I are to consider it all joy when we go through some trials. Let's just be honest. This is church. Amen. Anyone going through a trial right now? Five of you. Anyone going through a trial right now? Do we really feel joy? I know what some of you are going through. Guys, the word of God tells us we can rejoice. We've got to dig in. We've got to press in. Because what James is writing to us for is to focus on two things when he talks about trials and tribulation and temptation. He's saying in the world when there's persecution, like when he actually writ this, focus on Christ. But he's also saying as you live out your walk, let's be really honest, amen? You're going to wrestle with the flesh. You're going to wrestle with sin. You're going to wrestle with things your whole life because Paul wrote to us in Romans to told us of the two natures that we have, amen? And notice that James says, when you face trials. He doesn't say if you face trials. He says what? When. So how many of you are going to face trials? Some of you feel like you're not exactly where God has you, but can I tell you, you are exactly where God has you. Amen? He didn't bring this on your life. We're living in a cursed world where my notes are about to blow away. There's an airplane flying over me, and all kinds of hell is breaking through in your life. Amen? But he's writing to us to tell us what? That we should have joy. And he goes on and he says this in 12 of 1. He says, you're blessed, church. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And if you heard Pastor Brian's sermon a few weeks ago, he confessed with us about the trial that he went through. Amen? How he got up that day and he turned on the TV and of all the channels, what did he watch? The cooking show. And on the cooking show, what were they making? A Philly cheesesteak of all things. I can't believe he didn't text me. And then his son, his son came and sat on the couch next to him at nine in the morning. And as Pastor Brian was being tempted, he made the great point that he gave in. Amen. 
That's a fine thing to give in and hit me up next time, okay? We'll do some ministry. But he seen that video. He seen the Philly cheesesteak. He asked his son for his advice. His son said, Dad, let's go get one of those things. And at nine in the morning, there's someone on this planet cooking Philly cheesesteaks. I don't know if that's beneficial, amen? But the point was to say this, that the desires and the struggles and the sin that we will live out are already in us. I'll read this verse and we'll unpack the verse today. But what the Bible talks about in 12 is he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial. If you want to know where sin comes from, this is it. He says, but each person in verse 14 is tempted when he or she is lured away and enticed by their own desire. This desire, when it is conceived, will give birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, will bring forth death. Brian wanted the cheesesteak. I wanted the cheesesteak. Amen. What he's saying to you is, Brian, there's things within your nation, that, the nature that you want to go out and live that are sinful, and you would have joy and pleasure for a season. I'm saying this to say, James is writing to us today to say, even as a believer, you are going to wrestle with things, and if you don't have a right understanding, none of it is going to make sense. And I want to draw attention to this right now to help us understand today's verse. Notice what he said there. He said this, that sin, when it is fully grown, will what? Bring forth death. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. So if you're going to sin, there's going to be death of some kind. But can I tell you today, it is very different for the Christian to struggle with sin than the non-believer. Amen? For the non-believer, the Bible says in John 3.18, they are condemned already. And that without Christ, they're going to stand before God guilty at the great white throne judgment. But what does the Bible say for you and I as Christians when we struggle? What does it mean? I mean, did God save me and I never sinned again? Did I never think a bad thought? Am I Mr. Perfect because I'm on the stage? Is there anyone here who hasn't struggled with sin since they became a believer? We're going to struggle, Amen. And I'm saying that to say this, the same way that you become a Christian and you're forgiven, you're now on a journey to wrestle with the things every day. And here's what James's point is to us today, is that likewise, the same way that God saved us, he also wants us to do something with our faith. Amen? So many times you can be Christians who say, well, I've got faith and we just get on with the world and we enjoy ourselves and we do whatever. And guys, we should enjoy life. Amen. God is a God who blesses. Enjoy the beach. Enjoy the waves. Enjoy the cheesesteak. Enjoy whatever you do. But the point is this. James is about to tell us, guys, you're not listening to the commands that I'm telling you to live out so you can continue to bear witness in this world. And how many of you guys know that right now today is the best time to begin to witness to the people around you who don't know Jesus. Amen? Do any of you know someone who doesn't know Jesus? Does anyone know someone who's dead in sin? Do you think God wants to use you in their life? Do you think God wants to use you to be the witness? Well, he's about to tell us this. Well, here's the point. When we look at this book today, it was Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, who said this book is the book of what? Straw. He said, James is writing to tell you all the things you should do, Brian, all the things you should do, and that isn't why you're saved. Martin Luther very famously used the verse out of Romans 3.28. Many of you know it, and it's true. He said, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from what? The works of the law. How are any of you believers? Because you had faith, amen? 
And he said, if that's the gospel, then how can James write to us to tell us to have any works? Yet James clearly writes to us to tell us what? There's some things you should be doing. Martin Luther thought Paul of Mystipa, can I tell you this? Paul and James are in unison. Here's why. You guys know Father Abraham is, amen? What is the story of Abraham? That God came to him when he was older, and the Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham is the father of righteousness. Why? Because he believed God. You see, Abraham had faith, but James says Abraham had works, so which is it? Do you guys remember what Abraham did? God said to him when he was 100 years of age, when his wife was 90, she had been through menopause two times, amen? He blessed Abraham with a child and he said, through you, I'm going to bless the world. And Abraham believed God. But then what did God say? He said, I want you to take this child up on the mountain. And when you do, I want you to sacrifice this child basically like all the other pagan gods. What God is saying is, Abraham, you believe, but are you willing to give up everything to me? And Paul's argument was that Abraham was full of faith before the law was ever here. And what James is saying is no, because Abraham was willing to take his child and trusted that God would have had him kill that child, God would have resurrected him, amen, or gave him another child, that that was what it was with Abraham. I'm saying this to say, Christian, let's get really real. You are forgiven your sin, but you are going to wrestle with sin for the rest of your life. And you're saved by faith, but God is calling you to live it out in a way that it begins to be a witness to other people. Amen? What if Jesus was returning in seven days? How would we live? What if he was returning in seven years? What if the world was collapsing? I want us to take this verse today as radical as it sounds, what I say, and I want us to consider who has God called us to reach? Are you ready? James 1 and verse 16. James says this after they've been defending their sin. He says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, he says in verse 19, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, church, we could say, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and once he forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What he's telling the church is that just like we joked around about Pastor Brian and sitting there watching TV and saying, I've got to go have this. He's saying he's about to challenge them as they were struggling with sin to help them understand. He's about to challenge them in a way. Because here's what happens. He starts off in this verse and what does he say? He says, do not be what? Deceived. That's a scary thought because what he's saying is you can be deceived. He's saying there's a way, Brian Sumner, you can live in a way where though you're in Christ, you're deceived, something's going on. 
This is believed to be James, the brother of Jesus, and he's writing to you and me, brothers and sisters, and he's saying, don't be deceived. He's just talked about sin, and let me ask you this. What does someone do when they've lied or they've sinned and they get confronted? What's the first thing we do? We make what? Excuses. We make an excuse. If something's happened, I don't want to live a life of lying. I don't want to live a life of deceit. And what he's saying is, guys, don't be deceived. Because what we tend to do is we can say something or have something as soon as someone challenges us. We make excuses. Well, I guess I drank too much. She made a pass at me. This is when we were fighting. This is when things weren't so good. We can say all these things. It's in culture. It's in film. It's everywhere. A few years ago, I was reading a marriage book. I was excited to read, ordered it in the mail. And as I opened it and began to read this book, within a few weeks of reading through it, it was a slow read for me. But the guy who wrote it came out on TV. He'd had an affair. One of the most famous Christian families. And so do you think I kept reading that book? Yes or no? No. I want my money back. Amen. But the reality is, when this man was asked the question, why did you have an affair? The first thing he said was, well, my wife had one too. If a guy who's a leader is not going to be the covering of the house and make an excuse, you know what James is saying to him? He's saying, don't be deceived. He's saying, don't be deceived. And we could look at the world and say, guys, this is everywhere, but we don't need to go that far. What happened when they first sinned in the garden? Do you remember? God made man in his image. He put him over there by the tree. He said, Adam, don't go near that tree. And you know what? Protect your bride. And whatever Adam was doing, there was Eve over there. And Satan was there tempting her. And soon she would eat. And then Adam would eat. And you remember what happens when God showed up and he found them somewhere in the bushes naked? Do you remember that, guys? Don't be hiding in the bushes naked in sin. Amen. That's just a word of advice. What happens is when God said, what is going on, Adam? What does he say? Genesis 3.12. The man said, the woman, who did he blame? The woman. The woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. God is coming there to help Adam. God is stepping into our life to help us in our moments of failure. And Adam is saying, the woman that you gave, he blames everyone else. And so God goes to the woman, what does he say? He says, what did you do? And she said, well, God, it was the serpent that deceived me, and then I ate. You see, what we're seeing when he's writing here, talking about sin the past few weeks, he's saying the first thing is don't be deceived. Don't be deceived because what they were doing at this time was they were blaming everything on God. They were saying, well, God shouldn't have put me in this position. God shouldn't have allowed this door for open. And what James is saying to me and to you and to the church is don't be deceived. And if they're looking at God to blame him, which many people do today, most of my family in England have a major problem with God, though they don't believe in him. Many of my friends in Australia or Canada who are atheists have a major problem with God, though they don't believe in him. And he says, don't be deceived. And what does he say in verse 17? He begins to testify, who listen to me, who your father is. We're not just sitting in a church with airplanes going over while a guy catches his breath, excited to be here with you. Amen. We are hearing about the living God. He says, don't be deceived. And look at how he begins to boast in God. This is to you, church. Verse 17. He says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift. Is there anything good in your life right now? Do you have oxygen? 
Do you have loved ones or the people you can go share the gospel with? Despite the sickness, despite the cancer, despite the pain and the hurt, Satan isn't giving you good things. The world isn't giving you good things. Satan offered Jesus great things in Matthew 4. John will tell us the things we can pursue and get fun of for a season. But what he's saying is, guys, God didn't tempt you. You fell into sin. And what he's saying is, in fact, everything that comes down into your life that comes from God is only good. And this rang true for us because if any of you were here when I shared a few months ago, the worst thing that had happened in my life at the time was that our house was flooded. I mean, we go through that sometimes in California. Amen. Our house is flooded. Since then, my wife got skin cancer. Since then, coronavirus hit. Since then, there was a national pandemic. Since then, my mother-in-law got ALS, which is a crazy, crazy, twisted disease. Amen. And as I was going through this, and I, I use social media a lot because if you're on social media, you're actually meant to be social with people. Amen. That's what it's for. I had a family member that I hadn't seen in 20 years. And so she's been watching my Instagram feed, watching Jesus save me, watching God restore our marriage, watching every good and perfect thing come into my life. And she simply sent me this message. She simply said, Brian, I've been watching this journey you've been on in California, and I like the skating and all this stuff, but how can you possibly serve a God who would allow someone's mother to get that debilitating disease of ALS? Any of you familiar with that disease? And as I sat to respond to her, I responded, the only way I can even deal with this is because I have faith in God. Amen? If I just had ALS or someone ALS and that was it, that's the worst thing ever. If all you had was cancer, that's the worst thing ever. If all you had was this life, it's the worst thing ever. But Jesus Christ showed up in the midst of that. Amen? When we miscarried years ago, when my mom passed away, if I don't understand Genesis and everything around us, I mean, listen to that. The cops are going somewhere right now because of a curse in this world. If we don't have an understanding that everything that comes from God is good, I'm witnessing to that woman, I said, if there wasn't a Jesus who came into this world to live thy resurrect for me, there'd be no hope for ALS. There'd be no hope for the afterlife. There'd be no hope for eternity. Amen. The cruelest thing God could have done was allowed them to eat that tree and leave them living an eternal life in a world just like this. Can you imagine living here for eternity? People lying, stealing, killing, deceiving each other, fire trucks everywhere, people dying. It would be crazy. What God did was he sent his perfect gift, Jesus, and he spoke this through all time. And why am I saying this? Because while they are blaming God, and guys, we've got to get realistic we're really good at sometimes becoming the victim with our battles. Amen. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians and 10 and 13. And I'm going to make this personal. He says this to me and, and to you. He says, church, if you're blaming me for things, if you're blaming me for their sin, what they're living in, he says, there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. Guys, we're all facing the same things every day. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to what? Endure it. It was Pastor Brian who wanted the Philly cheesesteak, be honest, amen, and I wanted it as well. But what he's saying to them is, guys, I'm about to drop some truth on you, and you're blaming God. I want you to not be deceived. I'm going to tell you all the chaos you're walking into. You are the ones walking into this because what does the Bible say? Make no room for the flesh. Look on things that are above. When I grind my teeth or clench my fist or get mad or chew my spouse out, 
when someone drinks too much or cares at someone with the wrong finger out the car, when we deceive someone or chase something out of this world, that's not God that's us. And what he's saying is, Brian, every time my grace and my mercy is there to give you a way out. And he's saying this to say, don't be deceived. Notice he also said this about God, that he's the father of lights. In that day and age, what were they doing? They were worshiping the lights. I believe they still do this. They were sacrificing to the sun, sacrificing to the moon, all kinds of perverse lifestyles and things they were doing in the woods and off. And I believe this still goes on today. You just don't see it. They were worshiping all these gods in hopes that the gods would bless you. And here comes the rain. Here comes abundance. Here comes all these victories. I fully believe the occult still practices this today. Can someone say amen? But what the Bible says here is that no, God is the father of all and he doesn't change. You haven't got to manipulate God. You haven't got to sacrifice things to God. You haven't got to tug on his ear. God is a good, good father and is a yes and an amen to you, amen, to get you through this life. This point about sin that he's talking about is that they're missing the point. They're thriving in it. And he's saying, guys, don't be blaming God. Don't be blaming God because he's the father of lights. And here's why this is amazing. Listen to what he says in verse 18. He says, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If you're sitting here today and you're discouraged, you need to meditate on this. God, by his own will, brought us forth. I came to America to skateboard, was divorced and suicidal. God saved me. And I'm here today hanging out with you guys. Is God not good? Amen. No matter what your testimony is, it might be way more radical or not. God, by his own will, choose to do this work in you. God, by his own will, while we were yet still sinners. God, who knew you in your mother's womb. God, who formed you. God has been speaking the truth since Genesis 3 about a coming Messiah over and over and over. And why is this relevant? Because the world today is falling apart. People are losing their identity and they don't know who this God is. Even this verse, do you know what he says? He says, God brought us forth. How many mothers do we have here? This is a verse about giving birth to something. Yes, God saved me. Yes, there's a resurrection for us. But God chose to use the terminality that said God birthed you forth. Where did he birth us, guys? Into his family. He birthed us into his kingdom. My kids who are here today, the last name is Summer. That's the way it is. I'm their dad and likewise for you. If you are in Christ, you have been birthed into his kingdom. Can someone say amen? I know it's breezy. I'm out here. Some of you still think I'm speaking in tongues. I am not. This is the English language. Amen. But I'm saying this because God has birthed us into his kingdom. This should be the kind of stuff we sit on when you're worried about so much stuff. God doesn't need to take money from somewhere else to bless you or move you here or there. God has got it all figured out. Amen. And all he's called us to do is keep stepping out of that boat and keep trusting because he says, God has brought us forth. So I want to help us with this. He's saying, guys, you're looking at your sin and blaming God. No, 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 no. Don't be deceived. And he begins to tell you, God is good. He's the father of lights. And now he's about to challenge us. And here's what I want you to really stand for your Christianity. I'll tell you, there's a generation below us and below that today who are getting so distracted trying to be more of the world to win Christians rather than to be Christians to win the world. Amen? 
When people walk into a church, we are worshiping an invisible God. That should be weird to the world. Amen? We're talking about the blood of a sacrifice. That should be weird to the world. Amen? I'm saying this to say, as we gather in churches like this and continue preaching the truth, the next generation is going to hear and see, and it's going to be passed down. Because what does he say next? He says all of that to say them. Look at this. You are a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We miss that in today's language. We are a first fruits. James is writing to the church to say, guys, you are the first. You are those who will be martyred. You are those who will be slain. You are those who are going to wrestle with sin. But I need you to count it all joy so that 2,000 years later, some funny sounding English guy can tell a church the same thing as this, that we are still the first fruits to this generation. Amen? We're called to go out and to live this. And here's why this is crazy. I'm going to challenge us with this. In the past two years with the rise of the, the mega church or the things like podcasts and blogs and books, and I'm all for that stuff. That stuff is great. But the generation below me, they came to faith by being directed by a book or a relevant speaker or something other than the Bible. If you read the Bible for too long, for too many people, they get bored as if the Bible isn't the most life-giving thing ever. Amen? He's saying, you are the first fruit. So what's happening now? And I'll tell you this. I have friends all over the world. I get messages almost every day. Brian, I'm going to a church where they're not opening the Bible anymore. It's all about culture. It's all about what's social. It's all about what's going on on TV and all the media. It's all about motivation, all about self-help. Guys, did any of those things save me and restore my marriage? Yes or no? Any of those things going to rescue your kids or your grandkids from the things of this world? No. He says, we are the first fruits. We are those who are sent out. And I read a quote the other day, and listen to this. It is as though we now believe that the church needs to play catch-up to the world so that we can finally be relevant. It's as though the church needs to play catch-up to the world so we can finally be relevant. We're presenting something that isn't just Christ often to win the world, but whatever you win the world through is what you're winning them to. Amen. It took someone sitting me down saying, Brian, you're a sinner. Heaven and hell are real. But Jesus went to the cross and he lived, died, resurrected, and his blood was shed for you. And that's the gospel, amen. That when one sinner repents, all heaven rejoices. And what he's telling us is that we are this kind of first fruits. Because think about it. Just look around the world. I read a statistic yesterday that said, you know what? The kids taking their own lives, 25%, it's up. For men, 10%, it's up. As I look at the generation of my friends, skaters and surfers and snowboarders, the rest, this is an epidemic that's hitting that you don't see in the news. You don't see in the media. This is something we as the church should almost be burdened by. Why? Because it's crazy. I have friends who'd raise their kids up to be pro ball players, and as they got signed a few months ago, it's all shut down. How many weddings have been canceled? As I said earlier, four-year scholarships, eight years in college to start a business. Everyone's identity has been shaken, but what does the Bible say? Micah says everything that will be shaken, what? Will be. I mean, how funny is this? At our jiu-jitsu gym, we have a guy that came to America for three weeks, five months ago. He came over here and could barely speak English, and now I think he can't even speak Portuguese, amen? He was in Vegas yesterday, the still Brazilian guy, Johnny, but I'm saying, we don't have control. We don't know what's going on. And my point here is James is saying, guys, wherever you are, you are the first fruits, and that goes along with Romans. We're the living sacrifices. 
I say this because as he's challenging us with this, he begins to give charge. Listen to this in verse 19. This is powerful. He says, know this, beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to what? Hear. Have you ever thought about that verse? Like when I say something, are some of you quicker to hear than others? Like did some of you hear it over there rather than over there? I mean, this really doesn't even make sense. What does it mean? I want you, church, to be quick to hear. And theologians would say that what this means is hurry up and listen. It means you can be hearing it, reading it, listening to it, but not applying it. You can be sitting in it if you were raised in it your whole life, and it can take some crazy things as you're a young adult to finally wake up. I can be going through the motions as a pastor, reading and preaching it until I really apply it to my life. And he's saying this, be quick to hear. If we hear things and don't apply them, what happens? Things stop, they die, they fall apart. I've got a friend here who just moved down here from LA. Brian, I just got an apartment here. If he doesn't pay the rent next month and the next month the next month, he won't have an apartment anymore, amen? You buy a house, don't send in your mortgage check, you won't have a house anymore. You're hungry and you don't eat, you won't be hungry anymore, you'll be what? Someone say dead, amen? You're cold, you don't put some warm clothes on, you will freeze to death, but how is it? How is it? That he's saying, Brian, as a dad, you need to hear this word and apply it. As a husband, and I need to hear as much of any of them, amen? It's a crazy world right now. But what he's saying, and you can see why I try to get into this slowly, James is saying, guys, you can hear the word but not apply it. You're telling God it's his fault you're sinning. No, 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 there's not. And guys, there's grace and mercy for all of our sins renewed every day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This isn't a message to condemn. You should have liberty when you struggle with your sin to say, God, I am running to the throne. Help me, Father. But he's saying, I want you to be quick to hear. And what he's talking about here is hear the preaching. Hear the word of God. Let that be what saturates your soul and leads you. And he goes on next, and we all know it. You're to be slow to speak. Do you know how much this is in the Bible? Throughout Proverbs, throughout the Old Testament, slow to speak, slow to speak, slow to speak. You might have heard the famous historian Epictus. He said, nature has given to man one tongue but two ears that we may hear twice as often as we speak. Amen. I love that famous saying that a wise man once said, nothing. That speaks to me. If I can remember that, my days are different. The Bible confirms this. A wise man once said nothing. Listen to this, what Solomon says, Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is what? Prudent. He's telling us, guys, you're telling God what it's like, but I want you to slow down. Don't be disobedient, be accountable. And then he says, be quick to listen. This spoke to me this week, sitting in this verse. Man, am I taking everything that I hear? Am I applying it? What kind of a father am I going to be when my kids leave the house? What kind of a husband am I going to be at 50 or 60? What good is it to preach a sermon and say, good to see you, brother and sisters, if I don't apply it? Well, what James says to me is, Brian, you're deceived if you're not quick to hear the very words you are preaching. 
You're deceived if you don't take this and apply it to your life. Those of you who are youth who are thinking, here's just this funny sounding guy, you're gonna be deceived if you don't take of it and eat of it and see how rich it is for your life, for your marriage, for what you do with business and all that God has for you. And he says, be slow. And he says something powerful here. He says, you're to be slow to anger, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How can my being calm produce the righteousness of God? I mean, only Jesus is the righteousness of Christ, amen? I can't add to that, but he's saying, no, Brian, when you inherited Christ, when you were forgiven, the righteousness that you you now have, as you live in this sense, as you live in this way, it will begin to be, I mean, just think of America right now. All this craziness happened a few months ago. And it was going to be about police brutality and racism and such. And what happened instead, you had riots and protests and craziness. And now what you're seeing is violence as a political agenda and all kinds of what? Anger. We're not even seeing the point here. What he's saying is, Brian, if you live this way in your life, there's not real peace. There's not real joy. You see what anger is? Is it's the absence of peace. And if I'm a Christian, the Bible says I have the peace that what? surpasses all understanding what you're seeing in a nation guys let's get really real there's people now whose faith is more in whose president or more in the constitution or more in what's going to happen next than in god if i'm a christian i can't be racist towards anyone i can't hate a cop i can't hate a group of people if i'm really a christian i'm called to love all my neighbors amen there's no room for anger anywhere be it in my own heart, in my own home, towards you, towards anyone, towards what is going on in the world. Because if I carry that anger, it gets in the way of my witness. It doesn't produce righteousness here. And what's, Listen to this. How prophetic does this sound? Just think about the times, Proverbs 16, 32. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit better than he who takes a city. You think about the things that happened a few months ago, the tragic things, and now the city's being burned, and it doesn't do anything. There's people who have died in anger and rage. It doesn't do anything. And what he's saying is, Brian, don't be deceived. Don't blame God. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be slow to anger. And then he begins to go on. Listen to this, verse 21. He challenges us. Are you guys getting something out? Is this too serious today? I didn't hear the word of God for 24 years. I should be in a place called hell, but Jesus Christ through his word is alive and well. Amen. 21, you ready? And this is powerful. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He lists these specific things that if I'm honest when I read that, I might stop over a word or two, but I might just say, I get that. Sin isn't good. My battles aren't good. God, you're good and faithful. I'm going to read things about the Nephilim or speaking in tongues, being filled with the Spirit. They're more interesting. Amen? What does this mean? What does it mean to speak about filthiness? Listen. He says, put away all filthiness, and this is what it is. It's every form of impurity. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, whether it's spiritual, whatever it is. And you know what he says in this verse? He says, put it away. You know what that means? It literally means you're taking the earwax out of your ears. And you say, man, why are you mentioning that? Because what he's saying is, Brian, when you have impurity, when you're thriving in filthiness, it's like you have stopped your ears. I can barely hear myself right now. And if you don't put this away, 
you won't really be able to walk with God in the way that you can. If you're bound by this or bound by that, he literally says, therefore, Brian, therefore, W, put away filthiness because this will hinder us. And this idea of putting away isn't a one-time thing. It's like, Brian, for the rest of your life, be on guard. Make no room for the flesh. I get you're going to struggle, men and women. The statistics I've heard on women as of late are crazy, just as crazy as men. It's an insane world we live in. But this picture is like, guys, if we don't put it away, it's like having earwax in. When the preacher's preaching right now, we don't like those verses. When someone invites us to go and do this, we don't feel like we can live up to it. We're just like Adam in the bushes still. I mean, God calls, where are you? How many of you guys know God knew exactly where Adam was? Amen? He was asking Adam, do you know where you are? He says, watch out for the filthiness. And then he says this. He says, in the rampant wickedness. This is the intentional sin. There's different kinds of sin, you guys. There's the kind of sin you run into and the kind of sin that you fall into. There's the kind of sin where you go to work to take advantage of people. You have no problem lying or deceiving or hiding things behind a spouse's back. And you know who's deceiving you? You are. You're the one deceiving yourself. He says there's filthiness and then there's rampant wickedness actively choosing to live this way. And guys, how you know you're a believer? I know this is a hard message. How you know this is a believer? Is because you end up hating this. You say, I don't want to be caught up in this. I don't want to live this lifestyle. You hear the Holy Spirit telling you there's no condemnation for those in Christ, amen? But he's saying, Brian, you really want to hear and stand before me, not because I'm good, but God's good, be able to walk out this life and you can come to me with anything, and we can. But he's saying, put away the filthiness. Put away any intentional sin. And the Bible speaks throughout, and listen to this, verse 22. He says we should be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving ourselves. What that literally means is all that stuff I've just said, not legalistically. This is why Paul was, I mean, this is why Martin Luther was very mad at James, amen. Martin Luther would have left already, called me names and fled over there. People have said he was a drinker and a brawler, but I got a good double, single leg takedown. We'd be good to go, amen. But he says, look at these thighs, but he says, Be doers of the word and not only hearers or you deceive yourselves. You know what this is? This is a mathematical term. What he's saying when you deceive yourself, and this is powerful, what this means is what does two and two equal? Four. He says if you don't do this, it's going to equal five or three or two. He's saying that for a mathematician, they're going to make a miscalculation. Brian, if you hear the word, don't apply it to your life. Don't let it sit in you more than the next big thing or the most popular that. You've got to turn down the voice of the world to begin to hear the things of God. Amen. If you don't do this, your Christianity will be miscalculated. It's not that you're not a believer. It's not you don't walk with Jesus. It's not that you're not blessed and highly favored because of his grace and mercy. But if that's the extent of it, and there's earwax sticking in there, and you're living a life up and down, that's between you and the Lord. Amen. And apparently today, between James and that, I can say with complete confidence, I have seen people in this position. I remember traveling about six years ago to an amazing place. I won't name it. Took my son with me. Stayed with the most amazing family. 70-year-old gentleman, 55-year-old wife. Could quote the Bible, read the Bible, make the best food. Took care of us like no one's business. And we get home a week later. And you hear from the last 30 years, he's been out doing certain things with women all over town, paying money. How does that happen? 
That's 30 years of Valentine's Day. That's 30 years of anniversaries. That's 60 birthdays. That's Christmas. How does someone do that and be this available for the word? Because there's a lot of earwax in there. If they're in Christ, amen. And they've deceived themselves. They're not being active doers. I know this is a hard message. I'm thankful I'm leaving this week. Sorry, Pastor Brian, amen. The next Philly cheesesteak's on me. I seen a guy in the back with a tomato or two. But I'm telling you this because why? There's things I need to fight for in my marriage to make sure I don't fall down these holes. There's things you need to fight for. The enemy is everywhere making it look perfect and rosy and shiny and it all looks good. And he's saying, Brian, if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, and then what does he say? You know this verse, this is powerful. If we are hearers but not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. And this word intently, you know what it means? That you intentionally stare in a mirror and the word means you forcibly do it. I am looking in the mirror to see who I am, to see what I'm about. And as I'm looking in the mirror, it says this, verse 24. He looks at himself, yet goes away and all at once forgets exactly what he was like. And this implies that as I look in that mirror, I say, God, I hear the teaching today. I hear what James says today. I know I need to do this. But as soon as I leave, I don't write the check to pay the rent. I don't put the coat on because I'm cold. I don't get the tire pumped up to drive the car away. I literally leave and forget that I ever looked in the mirror and ever considered these things. But look what he says in verse 25, and here's the grace. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the one who does this and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. Am I saying there's anything extra you've got to do to become a Christian than believe? No. But what I'm saying is the same way I want to take my kids for ice cream or do things for my wife or come and hang out with you guys or do whatever is the same way now as a believer. I should want to live out these things. Why? To bless God. But most importantly, what? To reach other people. He says, if we're just a hearer but not a doer, and look what he says, the one who looks into the perfect law. Guys, the Ten Commandments were put in place, not legalistically, they were originally put in place, what? To help the nation be a community and to love the widow and the lost and the least. But you know what the nation of Israel did? They lost the law for a season, so when they got it back, they began to build bridges around it and build fences around it. And you had 10 commandments, 613 commandments. It's even estimated 1,000, 2,000. Maybe Nathan can tell us later on how many there is. Amen, I'm sure he knows. But the point is, they got so protective of the law. And that's why when Jesus came and he casually strolled in the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? He said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, what he says is they're misinterpreting everything I'm saying. He says, be hearers, but what? That they are saying one thing, but doing another. And what he's saying is this about the perfect law. The Ten Commandments point us to love God and to love our neighbor. And when they came to Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Ten Commandments. Loving the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind is the first four commandments. And loving your neighbor as yourself is the next six. The perfect law is that God, I can't do this without you. I'm wretched, dead in sin. Save me, forgive me. And the Holy Spirit shows up, convicts and redeems us. Amen. And now the perfect law is as we live, as the W Church, as wherever I go, as your marriage unfolds. Guys, 
even as you wrestle with sin, even as you wrestle in the flesh. The Apostle Paul knew the Bible inside and out, could say, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me, amen? I mean, he claimed, claimed he was the chief of all sinners, but I think I've got him outdone if I think about my past life, amen? There's grace and mercy. But what James is saying is, guys, and this is why James is writing, this is important. The church he's writing to, they're saying, now that we have faith, we haven't got to do anything, and James is saying, no, Flee from the sin. Get the help you need. He's saying, put away the things that are childish. How many of you guys know you're called to have childlike faith? We're not called to act like a child, amen? I'm called to trust the Lord as a child, but I'm called to be mature. I shouldn't be childish. Hearing this this week, digging into this week, I want to say, man, what do I hear from my wife sometimes, from my kids sometimes, from my oldest sometimes? That's clearly God speaking that I'm not hearing and being a doer. I'm not paying the check. I'm not putting that cloak on. I'm not doing this. And he says that if you do this, you persevere because you're not just a hearer who forgets, but a doer. And he goes on and says he will be blessed in all his doing. Guys, the amazing thing about being here is that you guys are already through James. We're in James. So I get to meet you in the text where you are. This is a pretty heavy text. Amen. I mean, how would you close this up? Should I talk about how wretched we are and good God is when we get on our face? I mean, that'll be some kind of worship. Amen. What we need to do is say, man, here's this guy from down the street who didn't know Jesus and God in his grace and mercy saved me. And I'm guessing he saved most of you. And if he didn't, you've heard the gospel here many times. You're dead in sin. If you've lied once, you're a liar. If you thought a bad thought against God, well, then I guess we're a blasphemer. And the Bible says it's a point of man wants to die and then judgment. All of us are going to stand before God. And if someone brought you here today or you strolled in here by yourself, let me ask you, do you know Jesus? If this coronavirus was rampant and we were all laying around on the floor, do you stand before God innocent or guilty? Because as crazy as they say this virus is, there's always been a greater virus. And what is it? Sin. No one gets out of here alive, Jim Morrison sung. And I'm saying that to say we're all going to die, then we're going to stand before God, and we need the grace and the mercy of God. And my prayer, I know the church's prayer, is that you know Jesus, you can put your faith in him today. You haven't got to jump through hoops because God did it all. You can simply say, Lord, I'm guilty. I need to be forgiven. And when we repent and turn to him, he takes our sins because he is a loving and good, good father. Amen. We could just be here today and say, man, James is intense. Guys, I think he's intense and I'm preaching pretty intense. Amen. James, you're intense, brother. The Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So maybe he's listening. But what I take from this is, Lord, I could read a lot of pages, let's do a lot of sermons, sing a lot of worship, or I can sit in the word, let it hit me, and I can begin to do what it says. I can do that tonight when I get home with my family. I can do that tomorrow. That's what he's called me to do. I can try and go preach more places, encounter more people, do more of this, more of that, or I can say, Lord, am I hearing your word and am I doing your word? And so could we just respond in a moment? If we just bow our heads, I want to just invite us to a quick time of prayer. Maybe you're here and you just say, Lord... I've been wrestling with filthiness or wretchedness and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for things like that. That's between you and the Lord. God knows where you are, what you're going through. Guys, you need grace and mercy. You need his strength. Maybe you're here and you say, man, my faith has never been put in Christ and today you say, this world's kind of freaking me out right now. It's kind of scaring me right now. Guys, there's nothing more scary than to stand in the presence of a wrathful God one day without Jesus Christ. That's real preaching. 
He sent his best for you because you matter so much. Maybe you're just here and you say, Lord, I want to take this time to pray for those I know. Or maybe you even want to say, God, I want to pray for this nation. But if you want to pray for any of those things in a moment, I'm going to pray us into that. And let's just take a minute or two to respond and sit. God, we just thank you this day that you are good. And though this letter was written 2,000 years ago, it is alive today. And you are telling us, God, that you're good that you're faithful, that you love us, that there's grace and mercy here, that your Holy Spirit is present in God. I don't know what people need to confess, but let them confess it just to you, their own special time with you. Holy Spirit, walk these stands right now. That God, where there's things that we say, there's no way God would ever forgive me. God, you have already done it because Jesus Christ said it is finished and he resurrected to prove it. God, I pray for the marriages in here or the people who are struggling with families that are up and down. Grace and mercy, God, into their lives. Help them and comfort them. God, for people who are carrying shame or just doubt or fear, God, refresh us, encourage us today. You've told us not to be deceived and we overcome that by trusting in the word. You've told us to put our faith in you, God, and that you're the one who's the author and finisher of our faith. And God, we just take some time right now to release maybe worries and fears, to pray and intercede for others. But God, most importantly, to prepare our hearts to lift you up and to praise you because you are the Father of lights. You that is above is above all. And Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it was a joy that you set before yourself to endure it. And God, we thank you. You are good. You are faithful. In Jesus' name, let's worship, church. Hey guys, hope that message encouraged you. I know when I was preaching through it, it was challenging me. Man, am I taking this word? I can be a lot of places preaching or doing podcasts or doing this or that, but am I applying this as a son of God, as a husband, as a father, as a believer? I'm sure there's so many things that we can grow in. Uh, Real quick, I know it's been a while, but thank you for the support. Thank you for those who have chose to partner with this ministry. I haven't put a lot of that out there because of the season. But as I said in the beginning, I'm continuing to raise support. So if you want to help get involved, go to briansumner.net. You'll find a support page. I do everything through people who are believers coming alongside, hopefully being encouraged, especially when I'm traveling and preaching and all the rest. But remember... 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God bless you all. Amen.